We'll turn in your Bible or scroll in your Bible app to the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And in honor of the reading of God's holy word, if you're physically able, would you please stand and follow along silently as I read aloud Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. This is what the word of God says. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Simple enough, right? Three verses. But it is hard to overstate the importance of this particular portion in the book of Acts. And you're thinking, this is the most important portion of the book of Acts. You're a pastor, right? Like you get easily excited, bro. Like this is, what do you mean this is hard to overstate? But this really does provide a transitional time within the book of Acts that will change going forward. And I hope to show you that in our time today. The book of Acts is a transitional book all in and of itself from Acts 1 through 28 But something's going to change from Acts 13 throughout the rest of the book. And I hope to highlight that for you today. Instead of looking at the entire chapter, because we could never do that in one sermon, we're going to look at just the verses that we read today, the verses 1 through 3. So uh, without further ado, let's get right to it. Acts 13 and verse 1. Here we go. It says, now they were in the church at Antioch. Stop. So let's do a brief refresher of the church at Antioch. And for that, I want you to flip two chapters back to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And check out how it's described, the church at Antioch in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So as a result of the persecution that took place, which resulted in Stephen's martyrdom, people wanted to get out of Dodge, which is not uncommon and not not understandable, right? I think we'd all want to do that. And one of the places they went to was Antioch. But what we're told in verse 19, they said that they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. That's important to note. We're going to come back to that later. Skip down to verse 21. And it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So right from the get-go, I want to make one point clear. It's point number one in your outline. The Great Commission isn't a calling for a few, but a mandate for all. A mandate for all Christians to live sent. To live sent. Uh, The title of the sermon, as you can see, is Gaining by Losing. There's a book with that same title by J.D. Greer. I'll let you decide who stole what from who. But what we are doing is talking about a different mentality, right? A different mentality that we would have as we live our lives. And one of the terms that I want to introduce you to, or an idea that I want to introduce you to, is that we are all called to live sent. To live as if we are sent, even if we never go anywhere. 
Here we have this baby church at Antioch, not baby in size, but baby in age, right? Like an infant, but one of those like big infants where you look at you like, wow, that mother's a trooper, right? So baby in size, uh, not baby in size, but baby in age, this really, really young church. How much can they know, right? How trained can they be? Not very, but they're living very differently from the get-go. I don't think they attended CDT. I don't think they had a Joshua's Men or a Woman in the Word. I don't think they had grace for you. I don't think they had a lot of those things. In fact, I know they didn't have a lot of those things. But they're living very, very differently from their inception, from the very beginning. In fact, so much so that the word spread to the church at Jerusalem. Now look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. That's also important to note. We'll also come back to that later, Lord willing. Think about it. That's a big deal. Nowadays, I see my mom's social media posts, and I know in a minute uh, what she's doing in a land far away. I know what she is doing in New York City. Specifically, I know what she's eating because that woman posts pictures of food like it's her job. Okay, so, so I know exactly what's going on, and it's not that big of a deal, right? For us to know what's going on in a land far away, we could do that instantly. You could probably get on your phone right now and find out what's going on in a land far away. That's not that big of a deal. Um, nobody was posting selfies in the church at Antioch. And I looked it up. Today, with whatever modern roads exist between where Antioch was and Jerusalem is, it's a 10-hour drive today. Were for word to spread to the church at Jerusalem from the church at Antioch, that is a big deal. Something big had to be going on in Antioch for people to hear about it clear out in Jerusalem. Uh, Look at verse 23 in Acts 11. So when he came and saw the grace of God, what does that look like? Apparently he saw it. What does that look like? He's seeing people live very differently. He's seeing lives radically changed as a result of the gospel. He's seeing people living as if they're on a mission from God, to quote the Blues Brothers. He's seeing people live in a very, very different way. People are living sent. They haven't gone anywhere. They're in Antioch, but they're living sent. Back to verse 23. When he saw, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, otherwise known as Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. While still a brand new church, the church at Antioch lived sent. They were on mission long before they ever sent a soul anywhere. Did you know that the term Christian was meant to be a derisive term? It was not a good term. It originated because people were making fun of them, calling them Jesus freaks. Wow, these people are obsessed with Christ. Look at them. They're like little Christs. They're like Christians. (laughs) Yeah, that is what they're like. Church in Antioch is like, yeah, that's pretty much what we are. Instead of defending themselves, instead of feeling personally, uh, personally insulted by the fact that they were being mocked for Christ's sake, they wore it as a badge of honor. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They embraced being identified with Jesus. They loved it. They're saying, that's who we are. They hadn't gone anywhere, and yet they were on mission right where they lived, right where they were, and loved being associated with King Jesus, even, so, even though it was in a mocking way. Also, although largely a Gentile church, 
They showed their love for their brothers and sisters in Judea by sending famine relief. So take a look at Acts 11 and verse 29, uh, 27 rather. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Look at that in verse 29. Everyone according to his ability. So everyone's involved in sending relief to people that they never met, that they likely will never meet, that they've never come into contact with, but they knew that there was a need, they knew that they could help, and so everyone sent something according to his ability. Those who could send a lot gave a lot. Those who could send a little gave a little. But everyone was involved. Everyone was living, sent, even though they stayed right there. Living sent means you realize that you've been sent here for a reason. That you are on a mission from God. Living sent means even if you don't go anywhere, because you might say, well, yeah, you might say like the Lord sent you here because you're not originally from Northern Kentucky. I'm born and raised here. I wasn't sent here. I'm from here. It doesn't matter. God sent you here. God has providentially placed you here, regardless of whether you've come here later in life or whether you've been born here. If you're saved, you're sent. If you are saved, you've been sent. Whether you live here, there, Or way over there, you've been sent. And I think the church at Antioch knew that. Evidenced by how they were living, right where they were, with the resources they had, they embraced a new identity. They didn't defend themselves when being mocked for their faith. Instead, they leaned right into it and said, come at me, bro. That's who I am. I am a Christian. I follow Christ. Grace was at work among them as they lived selflessly for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. From the very beginning, they knew that they would gain by losing, that they were to live by giving away, and that it wasn't all about them, but it was about the mission. So what about you? What would it look like for you to live sent in your personal life? What does it look like for you to consider where God has you in life, what station of life you're in, where you work, where you play, where you socialize, the circles that you have, the sphere of influence that you have, because each one of you have one. What would it look like if you lived sent and didn't just say, well, that's just my job. That's just a class I take. That's different. It's just my street. That's just a neighbor. It's just a trip to the store. What would it look like if you lived Sent and realize that when you are going to get a gallon of milk, you are just there to get a gallon of milk. But if there's an opportunity, you never know if there's an opportunity for you to interact with someone that you would hope to show the love of Christ. What would it look like for you to live sent? See, it's one thing for you to know these things, believe them, even nod in agreement with them on a Sunday. And all of that's great. That encouraged me greatly. But what about Monday? We're not going to all be together on Monday. How do you live sent at work? How you live sent at school, uh, at home, in your ministry, even in your church? What would it look like for you to live sent? The church at Antioch seemed to get it, and it affected their lives way beyond Sunday. You say, well, I don't know if I'm called to do that kind of work. Listen, some people talk a lot about a personal call to ministry, and that's great. 
but 100% unnecessary. Do you realize that? It is 100% unnecessary. There are infinitely more examples of people living sent in the Bible just because of the power of the gospel who never received the personal call to ministry. They were just aware of the mandate that was for them. The Great Commission is one of them. Matthew 28, verses 19 and following. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the, end of the, to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. You say, but I don't know if I can go to the nations. That's kind of far away. You live in a nation. God has sent you to this nation. So if you can go to a nation, you can go to the one you live in. But go and make disciples. We're all called to be part of a disciple-making process. You say, I don't know if I've been personally called. Listen. Don't wait for a voice when God's given you a verse. It's the only time in life where people who usually say, like our usual thing is if somebody's serious about it, we tell them to what? Put it in writing. Thank you, all two of you. Put it in writing. It's fine. Sometimes they bomb. That just bombed. Put it in writing. But all of a sudden, when it comes to things with the word of God, we're like, yeah, I know that says that, but I really got to hear a voice. I just haven't felt my kidneys flutter. I haven't felt that little, the hair hasn't stood up on the back of my neck. I know it's in writing, but that's probably means something different for me. God's made it very clear. He's made it very clear. Don't wait for his voice if he's given you his verse. The Great Commission isn't a calling for a few, but a mandate for all. To wherever the Lord has you, to live sent. So getting back to Acts 13. Living sent... Point two in your outline. Living sent means our leadership development should lead to leadership deployment because God wants us to send our very best. Look back to Acts 13 and verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. So as we said, Antioch was an unbelievable church. Gangbuster from the beginning. In Acts 11, we're introduced to a leadership and a church family that makes things happen. This was the first beachhead of Christianity in the pagan world. This was a church that obviously had the favor of the Lord. He was clearly working. The church was growing numerically. The church was growing spiritually. How do we know that? Acts 13 and verse 1. They were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. Healthy churches produce healthy leaders. Healthy churches produce healthy leaders. Paul and Barnabas had been busy. They were there for a year. They weren't just sitting around. God had been working through them to raise up godly men and women in the faith who would serve God sacrificially in order to advance his kingdom. So you'd think the church at Antioch would think, hey, that's great that we have these leaders, but we're still kind of new. It's only been a year that we've had these teachers among us. So we're still kind of young. The hand of the Lord's upon us. So let's keep up the great work and just keep on keeping on. But let's just kind of do that right here, right? God has developed leaders for us to serve right here. Let's keep them in until we are ready to send. But that's not what we see. We see them developing the best so that they can deploy the best. I mean, check it out. Look at Acts 13. Okay, so in the verse 1, it says, Now they're in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. Barnabas, we know who he is. Simeon, who was called Niger, we have no idea who that is. Some people say, that's the person who carried Jesus' cross. You can't prove that at all, man. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, some people say, that's Luke talking about himself. Again, you can't prove that at all. 
Uh, Somebody, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That's just a man who liked to name drop, obviously. And then there's Saul. So in that list, there's just two people that we recognize, two people that seem to be rock stars of the faith. You would think that those two people, among all of them, would be the ones like, listen, you guys stay here. You got to build up this church. We need you at Antioch. But that's not what we see. The Holy Spirit says what? Set apart for me those two people, the two rock stars who bookend that list. Set apart for me them. It's counterintuitive, isn't it, to plant a tree for someone else to eat the fruit? Or to plant seeds in your yard and watch the blossoming grow in someone else's yard. It just doesn't make sense. Or to plant seeds in your yard and see growth in your yard and fruit in your yard and benefit from the growth and the fruit. Only for you to take a shovel and dig it up and go plant it in someone else's yard. We don't do that a lot. That's not how we think. That's not how we roll. But that's what happens in Antioch. I'm sure the church at Antioch wasn't chomping at the bit to get rid of Paul and Barnabas, right? I'm sure that when the Holy Spirit had set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, they weren't like, amen, get going. It's Paul and Barnabas. They send them nonetheless. Why? Because that's the mentality from people who live sent. They're willing to send because they're living sent themselves. Because they know that in and of themselves, they can do nothing. But with God, all things are, are possible. And they want to gain by losing. They have a mentality that this... These are not our own. We'd love to keep them, but God is calling them. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 11 and following, Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He doesn't say that's going to happen right here, right where they've been planted forever and ever. Amen. And they will be sent nowhere else. Part of building up the body is winning people to Christ. It's, it's not by accident that in that list of people that God raises up in Ephesians 4 are evangelists. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And we need to live sent. Whether we're here, whether we're there, or whether we're way over there. But living sent only happens if we're living sacrifices. There's never one without the other. Look at Acts 13 and verse 2. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now, I don't think that was just a fun fact that Luke decided to include. Like, while the birds were chirping outside, like he's trying to paint a picture. I do think he's trying to paint a very clear picture that impacts how we understand this text. So look at it again. While they were worshiping the Lord... Now, when you read that, you might picture them singing to the Lord because we, particularly in the West, associate worship with a part of a church service. It's usually the beginning part, right? A worship song, a worship team, a worship, that's what we associate it with. I'm not saying that's altogether wrong, but that's just not what the text says. When people are worshiping the Lord, uh, that is the Greek word where you say worship or, or in your, some of your Bibles it might say they were ministering to the, to the Lord. That's the word liturgeo. And it doesn't mean singing at all. Not at all. Used elsewhere in Greek literature, do you know what it means? It means to serve the state at one's own cost. 
To serve the state at one's own cost. Or the, the discharging of a public office at one's own cost. So the picture being painted for us is that the people in the church at Antioch, specifically the people listed here, they're not just all of a sudden, like we might think, oh, they're singing to the Lord. It's a great time. They're fasting. And all of a sudden, boom, this big thing happens and the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, set apart for me these two guys. That's not what's happening. While they are worshiping or while they were ministering to the Lord means they're selflessly serving. They're ministering. They're praying. They're instructing others concerning salvation. They're teaching them the way of Christ. They're sacrificially, selflessly serving in their church and outside of their church. They're aiding others with their resources to relieve poverty and a famine that comes throughout their land. They're giving their lives away. They believe in gaining by losing. It reminds us of the words of Paul in Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, since God has been so merciful, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That term there in the Greek, logikos. Logikos kind of sounds like the English word logic. This is, this is logical. This is not like above and beyond. It's just logical in light of God's mercies that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice. Think about that. Living sacrifice. Living. So it's like living or sacrifice. I'm alive or am I dead? We die to self. We throw ourselves at the mercy of God's grace and we serve him with all the life and breath that we've been given. That's what's happening when you read while they were ministering to the Lord. While they were worshiping the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were singing. It doesn't even mean that they were singing with their hands up. It's while they were living a life of worship. You say, I don't know about that. Because the text clearly says they were worshiping the Lord or ministering to the Lord. So I don't see how that could mean they were ministering to people when the text says they were ministering to the Lord. And if they were ministering to the Lord and you're saying that they were teaching and meeting needs or relieving people of poverty, what could they teach God? What need could they meet of God? God is certainly not poor. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. How could they be doing this to the Lord? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Keep your finger in Acts 11. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, look in verse 23. So it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the what? As for the Lord, not for men. So whatever you do, work heartily, not just because we want to show people we got a good work ethic, because people, you'll make Jesus look good if you work hard. No, Jesus doesn't need you to make him look good. He looks pretty awesome on his own, but he cares about the mentality that you have as you do what you do, whatever you do. That's what it says, right? Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and what? Not for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving. Here it is again. What? You are serving the Lord Christ. 
That's the mentality we have as we minister to one another, as we serve one another, as we meet needs of people who we have no responsibility, practically speaking, to meet those needs. We do it as unto the Lord. Why? We are serving the Lord Christ. And so when we read in Acts chapter 13, which is the text we're in today, and we're told that the people were worshiping the Lord, they're ministering to one another, and they're doing so as unto the Lord. With a Colossians 3.24 mindset, they are serving the Lord Christ. So when you get back to Acts 13, we're not just told that the Holy Spirit said, set apart these two for me, I could really use them. No, we're told what their lives consisted of at the time the Holy Spirit called them, And commissioned them to do something else. They were living a life of worship. A life of ministry. Yes to other people within their church. But ultimately serving the Lord Christ. Where God called to use them in a different way. But still according to what they were already doing. That's what we see. It was while they were ministering to others as unto the Lord. That the Holy Spirit sent them elsewhere. So. What does that mean for us? Well. A couple of things come to mind. First of all, don't think just because you're faithfully and fruitfully serving here that that means you're supposed to stay. God might be using your time here to prepare you to serve elsewhere. You may not even know that. But you never know what the Lord has in store for you. That's what happened in Antioch. And that's what kind of drives us crazy, right? How oftentimes the Holy Spirit calls people to go and they're like rocking it, right? They're just killing it. They're blooming where they've been planted. They're fruitful. They're useful. They're helpful. They're competent. They're fun to be around. And then the Holy Spirit calls them to go. That's what happened in Antioch. He wasn't trying to relieve them of Barnabas and Saul. Antioch would have loved to have kept them. How could they not? They were great, great servant leaders, but God had another plan for them. If you're serving here, that's great. But don't mistake fruitfulness in ministry here as a sign that all bets are off for God to use you elsewhere. I never thought I'd leave New York City. Ever. When I told my mom that I was coming out to Kentucky in view of a call, my mom was not nervous at all. She was like, all right, you enjoy that. Like, you could just tell. Like, she's like, yeah, sure, we'll watch Justin while you go out there. And come back and realize that you don't know what a hay bale is. Like she, she was like, that's not happening. Like there's no way that's happening. When Pastor Brad asked me to pray about it, I committed to pray about it. I wanted to pray to get the confirmation that I was so not going there. That was like way past Jersey. I did not think that the Lord was going to send me here. I never thought I'd leave New York City. I wasn't unhappy. By God's grace, I wasn't unfruitful. And it's a really hard place to minister. People aren't exactly flocking in droves to go to New York City to minister. And those who do usually don't last. What people group do you study to reach the city of New York? It's the melting pot of the world. It's a hard place to minister, but I'm from there. I get it. I knew it. I loved it and didn't plan on going anywhere. But God had different plans. And I've lived in northern Kentucky for the past 13 years. Don't think just because you're serving faithfully, fruitfully here, that God necessarily has no plan to ever serve, have you serve elsewhere. Because he did for me, he did for Paul, he did for Barnabas, and he might for you. 
but let me officially speak out of both sides of my mouth. God might have you live sent by staying right where you are. Having you live on mission, staying right where you are and might use you to build up the body of Christ here, which in turn will free up somebody else who is being called to go. You'll notice the Holy Spirit didn't call anyone, everyone in that list, right? You'll notice that we're told in Acts 13 and verse 1 that there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, plural. So God had equipped multiple people to do the work of ministry. You might be used by God to free up someone else to serve elsewhere. God wants everyone to live sent, whether it's here, there, or way over there. So you might be a sender by being a stayer who serves so others can go and know what they're leaving behind will be in good hands. I'm not saying that's the only way someone can leave, but usually one of the things that stands in the way of people going to do something else, they think, what about the blank, right? What about the way in which I'm serving? What about the people that I'm serving, that I love, the ministry that I've invested in? Will God take care of them? Yes, he's in control. I know, but with whom? Just trust him. And you should trust him, but it's a whole lot easier to know that there are people who are going to pick up the slack as somebody else goes and know that they'll be left in capable hands. Little over seven years ago, I made a transition right here within our church to, from student ministry to being a campus pastor. Do you know what helped me in making that transition? Do you know what helped me to say yes to that calling that was expressed to me by the elders? Knowing I had a team that was going to continue to love students. Knowing that there was a man who would be willing to take the helm and to do a great job, Ryan Fultz. Would I have gone if those two elements weren't there? I hope I would have still been obedient to the Lord, but it would have been really hard. It would have been very, very hard. Part of what helped me to say yes to moving to Northern Kentucky is knowing that there was a team and a solid church who lived sent, who believed in gaining by losing and giving it away and trusting that the Lord would work among them to love students, to serve others, and to continue to build up the church. If our church has a culture of, well, I'm living sent, and a culture of serving, do you see how that could be used by God in the hearts of people who would be willing to go? Whether they were going just down the street, to another county, or to another country? Some live sent right here. Some live sent just down the road over there. And some live sent way over there. But we all live sent as we're all serving as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service, our reasonable act of worship to God. Point number four, living sent means we live with open hands, realizing God is sovereign over the end and the means. I think that's what we see here. God called Saul and Barnabas to go, so the church prayed, fasted, laid their hands on them, and sent them off. Now, I think our church, being a multi-site church, being one church in a variety of locations, I think we have a unique opportunity to live sent in our church context because we can also live sent by sharing. Uh, we share resources, and by resources, I mean time, I mean money, I mean teaching, I mean literally people. Earlier this year, uh, I was asked to preach on transgenderism and abuse back to back. 
weeks before I stood before my church family, and I know we're all church family, but my church family on my branch of the family tree of God at Grace Fellowship Church. I stood before Fort Thomas and told them what I would be doing because I wanted them to pray for me and I wanted them to send me. And they did. They encouraged me and they sent me and they prayed for me and the elders at Fort Thomas who go there, Pat Glenn and David Gottrod, I know that they prayed for me. And I'm so, so grateful to be sent, to be shared, because I don't preach to our entire church body thinking, what am I going to have to face when I get back to Fort Thomas the next week? A bunch of disgruntled people to face when I go back next Sunday. They're senders. They're prayers. They're sharers. They're the best campus ever. (laughs) They realize the kingdom of God extends beyond their campus. And so they they play nice in the sandbox and share their bucket and pail with others. Here I am. An empty bucket. And so we should do likewise. We have the opportunity of to live sent, to gain by losing, by seeing that as not a loss. Why isn't Peter here? But that that's a benefit for us as a church family. We send by sharing. It's a pretty cool thing that we believe that as a church, God has called us to be a multi-site church and that we're better together. That's an example of how we can be better together. But even beyond Grace Fellowship Church, the kingdom of God extends beyond Grace Fellowship Church. I know, mind-blowing. But the kingdom of God really extends beyond our church, all of our campuses. If God is calling us to send someone to another part of his kingdom, will we live with open hands trusting our great God? Will we really believe that the, the kingdom of God is gaining by losing, or will we just say someone else is gaining and we're losing? Sometimes God calls people to go far, far away. In verse 3, Acts, in Acts 13, we see the church's response. They prayed, they fasted, they laid hands on them, and sent them. Now, I don't think it's too much conjecture to assume that that's like an abridged account of what they did, right? That they didn't just go from like, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. Done! All right, pack your bags, let's go. I don't think that's exactly what happened. I think that's just what we're reading here. I'm sure it was very hard for them to do that. In fact, we're not in Acts, uh, we're not there yet, but in Acts 20, there's a more extended account of Paul also being called to leave the church at Ephesus where he was there for quite some time. And we read this. When he had said these things, he explained to them what God was calling him to do. He knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And you know what they did next? They accompanied him to the ship. It's hard. Sending people is hard. It's hard to send people. Because we usually send our very best. We're not going to send some second class, third class person who kind of knows their Bible a little bit but really isn't super helpful among us. But we think they might be helpful everywhere else. We're not exiling people. We're sending people. 
God calls us to send the very best. That means when we send, we feel that loss. If we don't have a mentality of a big picture God who works among multiple campuses, multiple churches all over the world, we're not going to see a gain by losing. We're just going to feel losing and somebody else is gaining. But if we're living sent, if we're living on mission, if we're willing to send, if we're willing to go, if we're all connected to that one mission of making disciples, we'll realize, wow, this is hard, but this is necessary. This feels really hard, but this is really good. And so before I mentioned in what you might have thought was like pastoral hyperbole that this was a really important part of the book of Acts because it indicates a transition, but it does. And here's what it is. Up until now, in the book of Acts, whenever the church has sent someone out on a mission, it wasn't to make disciples. It was to check up on the disciple-making that had already taken place. Think about it. I mean, you don't have to go back there, but you might remember in Acts chapter 8, when the apostles heard that God was saving Samaritans, when the gospel had come to them, they sent Peter and John. What was their mission? Acts 8, 14 says that when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Go check out what's going on. Pray for them. Pray they'd receive the Holy Spirit. It's great. It's not evangelism. Do you see that? The evangelism already happened. The disciple making already happened. It's go check up on what has already happened. This is awesome. God's done a huge work. Go see about it. Go, go check it out. Go pray for them. Go encourage them. That's great. They were sent on a mission, but the mission was not to make disciples. It was to go and introduce yourself to the disciples that were already made. Not a bad thing, just a different thing. Like you're saying disciples weren't being made? No. Disciples were definitely being made. But when people were sent, it was after the fact, not before. In Acts 11, we looked at before, as a result of the persecution and martyrdom of Stephen, the believers scattered. But even while they scattered, they were still preaching the gospel, still telling people about Jesus. And Acts 11 and verse 21 says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of believers turned to the Lord. And so the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they what? Sent Barnabas to Antioch. Again, were disciples being made? Yes. Was it the result of people being sent to them to do that? No. They were scattered because of unbelievable persecution. And while they were scattered, they were telling people about Jesus. But if someone said, did you come here to preach to us? They'd be like, ah, uh, not really. We really didn't want to die. So we came here because we didn't want to die. But while we're here, we'll tell you about Jesus. But they weren't sent. They were running away from death. They were not sent and commissioned to go and make disciples to do this. But they knew that they needed to live sent. So here's the shift that's taking place in Acts 13. At least a twofold shift. First, in Acts 11 and verse 19, it says that those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. For the rest of our time in the book of Acts, from Acts 13 through Acts 28, the focus is reaching the Gentiles with the gospel. That's what you're going to see. That's the first shift that's taking place is that we're now going to focus throughout the book of Acts on reaching Gentiles with the gospel. People who would have thought to have been outside the reach of God, not part of the will of God, not part of the family of God. Now we're going to see 
the church focus on reaching Gentiles with the gospel. The second shift that takes place is this. Now the church is sending people to do the work of gospel ministry elsewhere. They're not hearing what God is doing and then going to check it out. That's not bad. That's just not what they're doing anymore. Rather, they're thinking of what they want God to do and being sent to go make it happen. If it was business, we'd be talking about the shift from being a entrepreneur to an entrepreneur. Let's not just want it. Let's get it. Let's not just picture it. Let's build it. Let's go. That's the change that's going to be taking place that you're going to see from now on. Because thus far, the evangelism that has happened throughout the book of Acts has been, for lack of a better term, kind of spontaneous, right? And in groups, in a local synagogue, or the Holy Spirit working miraculously or providentially in the lives of people who were scattered. Or through a divine appointment, such as when the Holy Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot. And Philip evangelized the Ethiopian and he was saved. All of that's well and good. All of that's great. But now the church at Antioch is mobilizing. They're getting ready to go. They're going to take the gospel to places, not just going to respond to the gospel having been taken there. And that's very, very different. And the Lord calls them to set apart two of their own, two who would have arguably been their best, two of their most beloved, and they submit to the Lord and send Barnabas and Saul. And off they go. A huge transition to what you're going to see from Acts 13 through 28 versus what you saw from Acts 1 through 12. But in order to do that, they have to have a completely different, altogether counterintuitive mentality about this mission. They had to truly believe wholeheartedly that the call upon their lives as Christians was to live sent and to gain by losing. You may recall that I have told you that my wife and I enjoy cruising. There is a cruise terminal in Manhattan. It's on the west side. It's on the Hudson River. 12th Avenue and like 55th Street or something like that. And uh, it was kind of cool. One time we used it. Other times we sell elsewhere. But one time we used it. We went to church, finished the service, had our friends drop us off at the cruise terminal. We went on a cruise. It's pretty cool. The picture, though, is striking because when you're standing right there and you're looking at the cruise terminal, here's what you see. If you were to stand kind of midway and looking at all the piers that are there, you see cruise ships. And you know what's to the left? The USS Growler, which is a decommissioned naval submarine, and the USS Intrepid, an aircraft carrier that served in the Pacific theater of World War II as well as Vietnam. So I don't know if you could picture that, but those are very different ships for very different reasons, right? We got them working on their third version of the limbo, how low can you go? And we got a battle-worn, battle-tested, huge aircraft carrier and a naval submarine. Since I've been on several cruises, I can tell you what I like and dislike about different cruise lines. I can tell you that I think Carnival has superior food and bar service to the other 
cruise lines, but I can tell you that Royal Caribbean has a superior ship design because it's just designed with a lot of little details that the other lines don't take into consideration. I can tell you that Norwegian's probably the best way to go if you want to just do a cruise with a large group because they're cheaper. But I can also tell you that Carnival is also cheaper, but you have to watch the time of the year that you go because it depends on the crowd that you'll get. So if it's near a spring break, you're probably going to get a large, a large college crowd because just because it's cheap for you, it's also cheap for them. So you have to think about these things. Training you up in the way you should go. <laughs> it drives me crazy when people talk about churches like I talk about cruise ships. Well, I like the preaching here if only this person is preaching. If that person's not preaching, then I like to go over here because then I like this person and I also like the coffee that they serve because it's sourced from a specific country. But if I don't, if I don't go there and I can't make it there, I like the children's ministry over here, but the worship in this particular place is really, really good. Bup, 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 bup. Viewing the church as a cruise ship is really not cool. And while I enjoy cruising, the purposes they serve are pretty short-lived. Trust me, the saddest day in your life is the last day of the cruise. <laughs> if you're in a naval sub, you're like incognito under the water, super cool. I fell into a black hole reading up these things and watching YouTube videos. You have no idea about aircraft carriers and naval submarines. It was insane. Anyway, you're in a naval submarine. You're like under the water in stealth. People don't know you're there. And then all of a sudden when you need to, you just, you could fire out a torpedo. You could take out somebody else and nobody even sees it coming. Really, really, really cool. If you're on an aircraft carrier, you are living sent. You are all part of the mission. You'll probably be on the sea for 77 days. Some stay on the ship to ensure its support, to make sure that it's well taken care of, to make sure that the people are served, to make sure that they're ready to go. Others climb into cockpits for a variety of reasons. Some fly supply planes to ports nearby to pick up food and mail and other necessary items. Others fly fighter jets to go and carry out the mission elsewhere. But everyone lives sent. And everyone knows they're not at home. And everyone can't wait to be home. What will people remember... Grace Fellowship Church for if the Lord tarries 2,000 years from now. There's a chapter of a book, a couple of chapters of a book called Acts, right? A couple of chapters dedicated to the church at Antioch. If people were to dedicate a couple of chapters to a book to the church at Northern Kentucky, to Grace Fellowship Church, I wonder what will be remembered for. How will these days be interpreted downstream? Lord willing, in a few months, the Independence Campus will launch. That will be very, very, very exciting over there. Unbelievably exciting over there. 
But for those of us in the existing campuses at Florence and Fort Thomas, if we're not living sent, if we don't really believe in gaining by losing and we see people leave, we'll just think we're losing, but they're gaining. Maybe we'll be kind of stingy in who we send. Maybe we'll have a what about me mentality, what about us mentality, which is completely understandable and completely unscriptural. How will we interpret the days to come? How will we be a part of it? Will we view gaining by losing or will we just see someone else's gaining and we're just losing? I think what we're doing in missions is pretty exciting. And I really think the best is yet to come. How will you be a part of it? Some of you make more money, literally, than you know what to do with. You do. Some of you are like, that's not me. (laughs) Trust me. There are some who are like, that would be me. What if you were to consider how you would, what part you would play on this aircraft carrier of making disciples and how would God use the funds that you have that he's blessed you with to advance gospel ministry, to advance disciple making? And I don't have anyone or anything in mind. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. What if you're going to graduate from college in a year or less or two years or whatever, and you're like, I, I'm going to have a degree. I'm going to be in this field. I don't really have a plan. My plan is just to get a job. Let me just help you think way outside the box. What if you were to talk to Dave Warrens, our director of mobilization, and you were to say, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm going to have a degree in blank. And I can get a job here, or I can get a job doing that somewhere else. Would that, would that help you at all? Like, what if I went and served in an unreached people group because I can do that because I'm a blank. I'm an architect. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. Whatever that is. I don't know what that is. But I could go do that there. I won't make as much there, but I could do that for a little while. I don't really have any plans. What if you thought outside the box as to what it might look like to live sent? Of what it might look like to really gain by losing? And you say, I don't know if my parents would be really excited about me doing that. They're kind of excited for me to kind of set up shop here and to establish myself here and build money. All right, I just have a question for you. Like, what would happen if you just ignored them? You, could, you can do that as an adult. You can do that as an adult in a God-honoring way. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. But parents have a variety of motives. A lot of it has to do with your well-being and grandbabies. <laughs> what if you were to consider what you might do with a certain season of your life where you have more flexibility than you probably will have for the rest of your life? Will you write something down for me? Don't answer. Write something down. (laughs) Write this down. Or take it down on your phone or whatever. Or write it on your palm. Dave. Dave. D-A-V-E. Dave. At. At sign. GraceKY.org. Dave at GraceKY.org. Send him an email and say, I don't know if I'm a stayer, I don't know if I'm a goer, I don't know if I'm a supporter, if I'm a sender, but I know I need to live sent. 
might I do with that? Now, he's not going to put you on a plane tomorrow. He's, gonna, he's a freak. He's going to want to put you on a plane tomorrow, but he's not going to do that. <laughs> Just talk about what, how might God use you here, maybe there, a couple of counties over, maybe way over there, a couple of oceans over. How might you live sent? What will the church in northern Kentucky look like or be remembered for 2,000 years from now? And so as we close, I want to call our worship team up. I would like you to consider what Grace Fellowship Church might be like if we were an aircraft carrier. Where everyone lived sent. All saw themselves as contributing to the mission in some way, shape, or form. Where we were always doing our best to keep the battle out there, to go out there, to go into the highways and the byways, to deploy people, to go and serve and go and make disciples and do our best to establish not a cruise ship but an aircraft carrier for those who stay back. What if Grace Fellowship was an aircraft carrier where we were always aware that we are not at home? And that the crew will change. But the ship will keep going. And the mission stays the same. Until he comes to take us home. By God's grace, let's not miss the boat. Father in heaven, we pray that you would show us what it means to live sent, where we need to better understand what it means to gain by losing, to live in a way that we just give away. And Lord, we're excited for what you're doing among us, and we just want to be found faithful, available, willing, and able to serve in whatever way you Call us to. Who would you have have a conversation that they were never planning on having this week? Who would you have pray about serving in a way that they never thought of as a stayer so that they can be part of this disciple-making mission? Do what I can't do. Preach personally to each and every one of us as we leave this place today. And do it for your name's sake and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.